0: Good morning, Journey. Today is a monumentous day because it's our last message in this series that we've been going through of the book of Romans. We started back with Romans chapter 1 back on April 16th. And when our staff, when we were laying out the series, we looked at it, it was like 20 weeks long, and we thought, man, that's way too long. But then as we got into the book of Romans, we realized it's not long enough. Because in many ways, we've just scratched the surface of just this monumental New Testament book. So today, we're just going to dive into this last chapter, chapter 16. So if you brought your Bibles or open up your apps to Romans 16, and we're going to see just a bunch of names listed at the beginning of this chapter. Now, full disclosure, I've been practicing these names all week long, but I'm still probably going to butcher a few of them. So, So cut me some slack a little bit. But I just want you to listen to the variety of names and people that are listed here. So we begin in verse 1 of Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those in the Lord, Tryphena, Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretes, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, And the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and her sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is a host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. When you read a list like that, it's a lot of just like random names. And as I was prepping for this sermon, I thought, man, how do you preach a sermon based on a list of names? That's a good question, and I'll let you know once I find out. But looking at a list like this, it's kind of like looking at someone's shopping list. You know, there's items on there that are important to them, but we really don't know why. So we don't really know much about most of these 26 individuals that are listed there, but we can know that there's a story behind each name. But, you know, if uh, for you couples that are expecting, there's some great baby names here. So Brooke and David, as you're getting ready, you know, philologist literally means lover of words. It's like na- naming your kid Chatterbox, you know. ampliitis and Asyncretitus sound like serious medical conditions. (laughs) Epinitis is a guy to keep around if you have anaphylactic shock. Narcissus, that's like naming your kid Eagle Boy, you know. So, again, David and Brooke, look to Romans 16 as you're picking out that name here coming up. You know, at our home, in our guest room, Dory and I have a quilt on, on our guest bed that's special to us. And I've learned over time that people that quilt are pretty passionate about quilting do we have any quilters here that do that I mean most people that do it they just get into it and they love it and they like dedicate whole rooms or whole basements to the to quilting but uh, what I what I love about quilts is quite often they are blankets that tell a story and quilts often have meaning behind them, and is more than just the purpose of keeping you warm during a cool night. You know, they have significance. Like during, during chicken days, you know, quilts are given to honor veterans, and I just love that. And um, then there's the mandatory high school graduation T-shirt quilt. You guys ever make those? You know, my, my wife saved T-shirts of our kids since kindergarten, stacked up, and then for her husband, graduation, they sew them all together, you know, and they kind of tell their story of, of their life growing up through t-shirts into a quilt. And then what do the kids do? They like stick it in the closet and never use it. But that, that's the high school graduation t-shirt quilt. Well, our, our, our quilt that we have on our guest bed is special to us because on each square is written a name. Um, And this quilt was given to Dory and I as we uh, transitioned out of a ministry. So the church got together, and some of those quilters made this quilt and had each uh, family sign a square, and they sewed it together. And as as I look at those uh, names on the quilt now, like more than 20 years ago, I still remember those people and the impact that they had on our lives. You know, there was a lady named Dolores on there. And I look at her name and I immediately think of just these amazing angel food cakes that, that she would make. There's a guy, Cecil, on, on there who, who actually worked for the CIA and back in the 50s and 60s. And he would tell me these stories that sound like something out of a novel today. You know, and, and I see a guy named Dan who was just an amazing drummer on our praise team. And I, the people just come to life when I see that quilt. Well, through this list of names at the end of Romans, uh, we can kind of see really the overarching purpose of Romans. If you remember back in week one, and we've talked about it a couple times during this series, Romans is is a gospel-saturated letter. It begins in chapter 1 and ends in chapter 16 talking about the gospel. And then in the middle of it, The Apostle Paul just fleshes out what that means. But Romans is also a community-building letter. Because the the story behind the church is there is that there was some division between Jew and Gentile in the church, and it was causing divisiveness in the church. So Paul wanted to bring them together. He wanted unity around the gospel. So he addresses those issues to build community. And ultimately, Romans is a is a missional letter because he wants the churches there in Rome to get behind his mission of carrying the gospel out eventually to Spain. And he knows that a divided church cannot be a missional church. Nothing will kill the ministry of a church like internal division. So Paul hits that hard and drives it home. And in this like seemingly random list of names, we see every one of those elements. We see community, and we see mission, we see unity all around these names. So these names, really, first of all, they reveal this idea of unity. Specifically, unity or community in the church outweighs any division that they would have seen in their society and outweighs any division we see in our, our culture today. That early church there in Rome, it was a beautiful picture of unity in the midst of diversity. There was unity and community around racial different backgrounds. You know, like I mentioned, there's Jewish people and non-Jewish people, which were called Gentiles. But beyond that, there was also people from the Middle East. There's people from Asia. There's people from Europe. Rome was a metropolitan city. And it reveals to us that that early church consisted of all kinds of people. Roman, non-Roman, Jew, non-Jew, people from different parts of the world would come to Rome. Groups that were historically enemies and radically opposed to one another would be together. And as we saw throughout the letter of, of Romans, they didn't always get along. So Paul dealt with that by focusing on the gospel and how the gospel brings together different groups of different racial backgrounds and brings unity around them. You know, for the, for the church, uh, some scholars believe that, that, um, that, the, that the different groups of Jew and Gentile specifically wanted two separate congregations. You know, the Jews over here and the Gentiles over here. Just keep them separate. The Jews would worship on, on uh, the Sabbath, Saturday. They, they could worship at Saturday at 5 o'clock. The Gentiles could worship Sunday at 9 with coffee and donuts beforehand. You know, they thought, Let, let's just do that. You know, do church by races. But Paul is like, no, we are together. So we see in those list of names that this unity outweighs any racial divide. But that list also shows us that there's unity and community around different social classes. Some of the people listed there would have been, you know, families of considerable means. You know, for example, Aristobulus and Narcissus, both were, have, were said to be um, heads of family or heads of household, which, which would have conveyed the idea of a whole estate. That these were landowners, these were people with uh, agriculture, with, with businesses and slaves to support it. Um, some scholars believe Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great. So there, there's people of influence there. In fact, Paul even says um, Erastus was the city treasurer. So like he, You can imagine being the city treasurer for a city like Rome. That would have been a position of power. And the other names listed like Rufus and Urbanus. Those were common names for slaves in that day. So you have city treasurers, landowners in the same church, shoulder to shoulder with slaves. And then you come to a verse like verse 16, and you can see why this is so important. Because when Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss... Now, it's different than what you're thinking. The emphasis there is on the word holy, this idea of we're together. It's a sign of equality, a sign of friendship, royalty and slave together. And in the New Testament church, it's a beautiful picture of just radically breaking down these distinctions of race, of class. And everyone's on the same level because of the gospel. So, the gospel really teaches us that there's one race of people, the human race. It teaches us that there's one class, sinners. And there's one hope, the grace of Jesus. So, this unity of race and class that we see here in Rome is possible through the power of the gospel. And there's also unity and community around uh, both men and women. That might seem a little unusual, but, but for Paul to call out and specifically mention uh, women in the, as a, in the closing verses here of Romes, is probably very intentional, and we know it's very unusual for the time. Both Rome and Jerusalem were very male-dominated societies. So but Paul calls these women fellow workers and co-laborers. In fact, he starts out mentioning Phoebe. And he uses the word servant, but it also can mean, also can use the word deacon for referring to Phoebe. Can mean either, you know, a servant or a deacon, which would be, you know, an official position in a church. Paul recognizes her as a co laborer. And as I was studying this passage, scholars believe that Phoebe was most likely the one to physically carry this letter that we know as Romans. Physically bring it to the churches in Rome. So she would have been the deliverer, and if, and if people had questions about what Paul had written, uh, she could answer them. She would have conveyed Paul's wishes for the churches and been that representative. See, the point is, is that these women were prominent, they were in- influential. And Christianity from the very beginning in a, city, in a metropolitan city like Rome was countercultural in that regard. So through, through the power of the gospel, we, we see this idea of unity and community. And that outweighs any distinctions that have, that have been in that society. Distinctions of race or class or gender, they no longer apply. But then we also see a couple other things in this list of names that really resonate with me one is this idea of relationships and I think that a key takeaway for us is that we never graduate or move on from our need for relationships think about who our author is the apostle Paul I mean if anybody in the kingdom of God had an important job it was Paul His preaching and teaching would set the direction of the church for the next 2,000 years. But you know what? Paul didn't spend his time locked away from people. Even though he was a prisoner at the time of of writing this letter, he had personal connection with a lot of people. He had personal connection with these people in Rome. In fact, Paul was just swimming in friends and relationships. And those relationships were not with just a bunch of other super pastors. You know, he wasn't just hanging out with, you know, speakers on the church conference circuit. No, he was rubbing shoulders with ethnically diverse friends, the weak and strong, slaves and free, the rich and poor, men and women, everybody was, was welcome in Paul's eyes. But you know what? I think our temptation is to kind of make a slow slide towards isolation. You know, because honestly, relationships are messy. Relationships can be hard. So we just want to like isolate and pull back. Disciple making is messy because we get involved in people's lives. We're dealing not just with the good stuff. You have to deal with the sin issues as well. You know, and so it's easier in a lot of ways just to shut the door on relationships and do our own thing. We isolate and insulate. I mean, think about, you know, think about Yeti coolers, for example. You know, why are they so good at keeping ice and things cold? Because they have really thick walls. And we tend to build some really thick walls around our hearts as well to keep us insulated, to keep us relationally cold with hearts like ice because we don't want to be hurt. So as I worked on this sermon, this personally challenged me in that area. Is I had to ask myself, do I isolate? Do I insulate? And you know what? I, I like people. I, you know I like relationships. That's probably why I'm a pastor because I like to hang around people. Yet even at times, you know, I want to pull back and insulate. But you know what? People without friends, they tend up tend to be unhappy people. They tend to be kind of angry people. Sometimes warped, you know, relationally, socially, and men, especially us, as we get old, men tend to pull away, and. At, I know that as men get to like age 50 and beyond, many guys have very few actual friends outside of their wives. And our, believe me, our wives wish we did have friends outside of that. And that's, that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place just to go through life, you know, insulated and isolated. Uh, it's. That's not how God designed us to live, and it can lead to a lot of problems. But the desire to live relationally alone or to be isolated, you know, with going through life with this idea of just me and Jesus, that's not a mark of spiritual maturity. That's not how we see it fleshed out in the Bible. You see, the church is a community. The church is a a gathering of people built around relationships. That's why here at Journey, we talk about relational disciple-making. I like how the author Tim Keller put it. Uh, Tim Keller writes, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends or relationships is the one ache that's not the result of sin. God made us in such a way that we couldn't even enjoy paradise without human companions. Adam had a perfect quiet time every day with God, 24 hours a day. Yet still he needed a relationship with another human. And he goes on to write, If you feel lonely, you aren't dysfunctional, you're healthy. We feel lonely because we're not a machine to need deep spiritual relationships friendships is not a sign of spiritual immaturity but maturity it's not a sign of weakness but a sign of health i love how he puts that so love and connection to the body is the ultimate sign of spiritual maturity in christ So Paul doesn't talk in this list about how important these people are or how much money they gave or how gifted they were. He only praises one thing, their devotion to God and their devotion to one another, their commitment to that relationship horizontally and vertically. That's the sign of maturity. So to put it plainly, the health of your walk with Jesus is measured less by how Gifted you are or how amazing you think you are, but more by how well you know and are known by those in the body of Christ, those in the church. So that maturity in our life is reflected by Christ-centered relationships. Well, another key takeaway that really resonated with me in this list of, of names is, is that God uses everyday people. In other words, ordinary people play this extraordinary role in the body of Christ. You know, each, each one of you is a living missionary right where God has put you. So, are you a student? Be a missionary on campus. Make disciples of Jesus. Are you making trailers at Great Dane? Be a missionary making disciples at Great Dane. Are you a teacher? Be a missionary to students and faculty. Are you building houses at Heritage Homes? Be a missionary and build disciples. You know, these servants of Christ that are listed there, you know, they really fade into history. This list shows us that there's a whole lot of people involved in ministry really whom we never hear about again. Even Tertius, who was the scribe that actually put pen to papyrus and wrote down what Paul was saying, we, we never hear about him again. Then there's Tryphana and Tryphosa and Persis who worked really hard, Paul says, in ministry. We never hear from them again. Even Prissa and Aquila, who he says risked their necks for a ministry and opened up their homes to church meetings. They fade into history. And Rufus, Rufus' mom, who was like who was a mom of all, we never hear from her again. I mean, people we never hear from again, but they had a huge impact on the spread of the gospel. One historian named Stephen Neal said that nothing is more remarkable about the spread of the gospel in the first century than its anonymity. This incredible movement of God changed the world through nameless people, nameless servants of Christ. You know, even in the first century, there are some great church planting centers, and ultimately the, the center of Christianity shifted from Jerusalem to a city called Antioch, and Luke records for us the, the, the starting of the church in Antioch, and he says literally in, in Acts chapter 11, the Lord's hand was on them, and the church grew. He just says, them. Them doesn't name any of the church planters, doesn't name any of, the lead, any of the leaders. He just basically says it's a bunch of people whose names I won't mention because you won't hear from them again anyway, but people who were servants of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, you know, what watching the credits at the end of the movie and you see people listed as bystander number three, you know, just very anonymous, but they were there. You know, that church in Antioch that we don't know anything about the the beginning of, that church in Antioch would one day send out the Apostle Paul from that church. And because they did, the church in Rome grew. And then eventually a church called Journey in Wayne, America, planted and started and has grown. Because they were faithful in the first century, we have had a chance to hear the gospel in the 21st century. So whenever and wherever the gospel spreads, it's because everyday, ordinary people like us grab a hold of the responsibility and our role to be servants of Jesus. So journey, it's our turn. If Paul were writing a, a letter today to a church, if there, if there was a book in the Bible called Paul's Letter to Journey, you know, Journey chapter 16, Would your name be on the list? I mean, this is a list of names with a lasting impact. As we look at those names, we see unity, community, we see relationships, but most of all, we see us ordinary people doing extraordinary things through the power of God. And then Romans concludes with just this beautiful postlude and Paul's final words to the whole book, are really reserved for God. Sixteen chapters. He's, he's, he's building into these final paragraphs that are simply beautiful. Six, Sixteen chapters that's showing us that the gospel is all that we need in life. Back in chapter one, he explains what a mess we are in and only the gospel could save us. And towards the middle of the book, in chapter 8, it's one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible because it tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then in chapter 12, there's this hinge of the entire book showing us that those who believe the gospel are ultimately transformed by the gospel. And in chapter 15, there's, it shows us the role that we have to play in God's kingdom to carry out His mission. And then we come to chapter 16, which just illustrates this mission by listing these random names, and it just celebrates who God has used to carry that out. I'm going to invite the praise team back up this morning. And as they come up, listen to these final words that Paul reserves for God and directs to God. Verse 25, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the pro- prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the one question, Journey, that really matters. Have you experienced the saving power of the gospel in your life? Do you know Jesus? Not just know about Him, but do you know Him as your Savior? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Are you following Jesus? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to change you? Are you living on mission for Jesus? Journey, today's the day. Don't wait. Don't put it off any longer. Stop sitting on the fence and go all in for Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible letter that we know as the book of Romans. Thank you that you in this book have have laid out what the gospel is and how the gospel transforms us, transforms society, and makes a lasting, eternal impact for your glory. So, Father, may this gospel, may we just internalize that in our own lives and allow you to change us from within. So, Father, do that today. Use us for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue in worship.